man. Well, you're gonna have to carry me on this one. I'm exhausted from this week, though I was on vacation. Oh, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> it is my it is my movie choice, so I figured... Well, yeah, I, I've only seen this, I would say, uh, solidly one time. I mean, I've, like, I think I watched it once... And then, like, but, like, it's been so long ago that I barely remember it. And then I kind of watched, like, 30 minutes of it when I bought it recently. And then now I've watched it for the first time fully, like, focused. Oh, I was going to ask you, did you watch it before we recorded? Yes, I did. This would have been, this been entirely one-sided. Yes. Um, so I've seen it several times. I want to say I've seen the movie at least four times. Well, you're um, going to be the champion of this one. Oh, hey, uh, everybody, no, this is not behind the scenes. I know, oh, seriously. Shoot, this is Cinema Te- hey, first. welcome to Cinema Discovery Project. I'm Stephen Billings, and with me, as always, is Andrew Cabral. I'm so embarrassed. Wow. Yeah, I know. A little off, a little off, but we're, we're ahead in the game, getting our head in the game. And, yeah, we are back here on another episode of Cinema Discovery Project. And today, if you didn't join us last time... I impromptly and uh, randomly chose a movie at the end of the last episode to cover for this time, and I decided to go with Princess Mononoke, the um, Hayao Miyazaki film from 1997. And the reason why is because it's my favorite of the Hayao Miyazaki films that he's done, and it's also my favorite um, Studio Ghibli. Studio Ghibli. I've heard it pronounced two different ways. And I still don't know which one is the pronu- pro- I, I correct pronunciation. I Studio Ghibli. Yeah. the way I say maybe it. We'll, maybe we'll just go with that, and if we're wrong, then we're wrong. It wouldn't be the first time we mis- we, we've I'm wrong all something. the time. It's whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I've seen the movie five times now. So I was just checking my letterbox. Um, and, yeah, so, like I said, it is my favorite Hayao Miyazaki, favorite Studio Ghibli film. And the reason being, generally, is because... I was immediately blown away by it. It's a movie that is unlike I see any other animated films before. And that's the one thing, I guess we'll kind of just go into it a little bit here because we don't want to spend too much time on it. But just Studio Ghibli in general and just Japanese animation in general seems to be so much different than animation we see here in the States or animation, I think, that Stephen and I grew up with. And a lot of people have grown up with this in their lives. I came to it later in my life. Yeah. Like, I've only come to it in, like, the last, you know, 10 years. So, basically, my my early to mid-20s up until now. Yeah, I would say, I would say, especially, specifically, Japanese anime, I think, I don't think, look at animation as being primarily for uh, a younger audience. They look at it as a just another art form and another way to express. And and, and of course that that doesn't just um, you know convey to the to, to Japanese artists, but but you know primarily in America, when you see an animated movie, it's typically for children. That's that's the one big knock on animated on just animation in general is that people automatically associate it for being for children yeah. and being kiddish and being, you know, not for adults. Like adults wouldn't like it. Yeah. And very well that could be the case, but I think that can be the case with many genres of film. And, and, you know what I mean? Well, and the thing is, 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 and if there is something that's an animation that's more for adults, typically it's comedy and typically it's crude comedy where there'd be like your South Parks or Rick and Morty's. Yeah or your things like that typically dramatic works are not done in animation in america because typically at least uh, by modern i'm gonna say modern animation but i'm thinking more like 
not even nineties till now. I don't even. I'm not. I don't want to generalize too much, but typically animation hasn't been that dramatic. But it, but it also has traumatizing elements in it. Like I'm just. Sure. I'm like I'm thinking back to like when we grew up in the in that age, and just like um, the Disney films that came out back then and whatnot. Um, but you know, I'm thinking of the Lion King, but I'm like that's dealing with you know parental death and like dark stuff like that. It is, so it's but it's got like, a lot of icing on it. It's got a lot of yeah, singing and dancing. Yeah, and... but they layer it with like music and and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So they it's it's it they it doesn't hit you as hard because it's a softer blow yeah. than I would say something like Princess Mononoke. And it's not that Studio Ghibli like all their films are like hard hitting. They're not, no, he- they they're not all light. heavy, but it's They're it... not all heavy. It's just I prefer the heavy ones. Like for I mean something something that's not heavy at all and and is one of its favorites and is actually the mascot for the whole company, is My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. My Neighbor Totoro is such a light, like, wonderfully... That, that, that's a more children... That's film. more for children. Yeah. That's more for children. What is interesting, the first time I watched My Neighbor Totoro, I was waiting for something extremely tragic to happen. Because <laughs> I was like... No spoilers, but I'm just waiting for like, man, things are too nice and happy and things well, are too good. Disney, Disney movies teach you that. Disney movies are yeah. like, hey, look, a parent's going to have to die soon. You know, like typically, typically the mother, you know, uh, you know, that's true. So, um, but Studio Ghibli itself, before we get on too off of track, um, was founded, I believe in 1985. So we're only talking the last 35 years or so. And they have, um, an eclectic group of films that they've been working on. Their first film, um, I believe is Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. Um, which is not, it's not Hayao Miyazaki's first film. He's been ma- he, he's been making films since the 70s. Um, some of his earlier films, like Lupin the Third, is one of his earlier films. Um, but it's, it, they have a lot of, um, in their worldwide, or the world, yeah, worldwide renown, I think is, is one of, is, um, is, could be, could be, um, the best way to, to kind of, rationalize their impact on the world. I'm looking for a list of their movies just because I, w- I want to go over some of it. It's like Castle in the Sky, um, you know, Castle in the Sky, Grave of the Fireflies. Grave of the Fireflies. We were just yeah. talking about how hard <laughs> That is the saddest movie that, that I've is, ever that seen. That might be one of the heaviest animated movies. That's the, one of the heaviest movies I've ever seen yeah. in general. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter the genre. But I guess Nausicaa Valley of the Wind came out in 1984, so it doesn't count as their first film, but it's kind of always come out under the Studio Ghibli banner. Like, if you buy the Blu-ray or the DVD, it says it's a Studio Ghibli film. I don't know. But like I said, uh, My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Poco Rosso, Pompoco, uh, Whisper of the Heart, Spirited Away is probably their most well-known movie, their most critically acclaimed film. And and they've had other films like Howl's Moving Castle, Tales from Earthsea, Ponyo... Um, Arietti from Up on Poppy Hill. They go all the way up till till now. They're still releasing movies. Their latest film came out this year, or is coming out this year, and it is uh, Airwig and the Witch, and it's directed by uh, Goro Miyazaki. Um, Hayao Miyazaki didn't direct all of these films that I just listed or all of the films in the Studio Ghibli catalog, but he is probably the most well-known and revered he, He's their the superstar. Filmmakers. He definitely is. He's a legend. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a legend. legend. Uh, an all-time great filmmaker um so it's and he's working on a movie too 
And he was supposed to be retired, and then he came back again. He, he, yeah, he retired after the wind was it the, the wind, wind rises. rises, yeah, 2013, and then he came out of retirement. He's been working on a movie now for like the last three years or so. Because because and if the, you don't realize, it's yeah. not like a lot of animation today in the U.S. where it's CG now. Um, he 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 still works in hand drawn animation. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean, that's why they only come out with like, like I would say one movie a year, but like. Before now, they haven't come out with a movie since like 2014. Like yeah. it takes because it's all hand drawn, and it takes them like a while to do a movie. Yeah. Like yeah, sim- he's wor- I was gonna say he's- similarly, it's like um, what's the company that does all the the um oh Leica like like yeah like Leica with but, the stop motion animation yeah all that yeah. yeah it takes forever yeah it takes forever to do that and the, they're all hand drawing it and I and they're only doing like one scene a month or something like it's a ridiculously slow process and they have all of these uh, animators working on things and whatnot and Hayao Miyazaki used to do all the drawings himself I believe and yeah it's it's beautifully gorgeous you know 2D animation hand-drawn animation it's unlike stuff you see now it's not like the Pixar stuff you see it's not it's closer to like renaissance disney but even it's so unique it's it's i'm sure they were very inspired by him (laughs) yes yes i would say so yeah i mean and it's yeah it's some of the it's beautifully gorgeous and they're more like paintings than uh, they look like yeah they look like paintings and landscapes and there's some crudeness to them as well so the worlds all have their own unique you know feeling to them and characteristics and i guess kind of you know, jumping into the world of Princess Mononoke, um, in general, uh, this is a movie that is uh, set during uh, the. Oh, I'm gonna. Bog- I may be butchering this. The um, Muromaki period of Japan, which was approximately 13, 1336 to fifteen seventy three uh, CE or Common Era. So you know, we're talking, you know, five, six, seven hundred years ago in. In Japan and Japanese history, and it's it's a movie that's dealing with a young Emish prince named Ashitaka, and he and he and we'll get into this kind of general we'll get into all the details, but he has to go basically on a quest, yeah, on a quest to kind of save himself and along the way and, kind of gets caught up way, in a, gets a war in things, yeah, he gets caught up in like a war and a power struggle between people, and also the kind of a war between humanity and nature and those themes humanity versus nature and environmentalist themes pop up in Miyazaki's work a lot yeah. <laughs> you could say he you could say he falls on the side of um, of environment over humanity yeah. Many oh, yeah. Time, yeah. all the time all the time but yeah this is this was a film that I first watched years ago and I've been in love with it ever since and I keep watching it every now and then um, I, so, I'll say right off the bat I, I yeah when I was watching this, and you'll get this, you'll get this too when you when the movie first starts, and it's part of the reason I know you love this movie. I was like, I know this is part of the reason he loves this movie is the score. The score yes. is amazing, Thank you. and it makes me think of Lord of the Rings right off the bat. I'm like, this feels so epic, like Lord of the Rings, um, like like that's what it feels like to me. It starts to feel like a Howard Shore score right off the bat. Less, but like less bombastic. It's it's. It's soothing and earthly and just... It's It's got this just epic, uh, you know, just <sighs> wistfulness about it. Like, it's like, yeah. it's just... And I was like, man, this feels... Enchanting, magical enchanting, like, feeling. Like it, it, and it's a powerful score. It's not like 
just one note, like something you'd hear from like a John Williams where it's got like a, you know, you know, it's like, it's just like very full orchestra, just epic. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, like, like, it's almost hmm. like you're moving in slow motion. It's an emotional Um, score. It's it's an emotional score. And yeah, and it pumps the film full of emotion yeah and the, the emotion in this movie i feel is very palpable that's what really gravitated me towards it yeah is because you you know as you get older you kind of distance yourself with with certain things and this film really kind of pulls you pulls you in and has that seriousness like we've been talking yeah. about like it's, it's different than when you go back and you're driven by nostalgia when you watch like i don't know cinderella or the little mermaid or lion king or stuff like that. Um, but you, I, I think as I've grown older, I don't know how other people feel. Like, there's a distance there because you're no longer a child and you no longer have that childlike wonder and connection. So watching something like A Princess Mononoke, I have, like, adult-like wonder of it, if that makes yeah. any sense. Um, yeah, but it the film is it, and the film moves, too. It's two hours and 13 minutes long or so, but I feel like it moves, especially the second half. Yeah. Um, so I guess starting off, we'll just dive right into the plot, spoiling the heck out of this movie. Yes. If you haven't seen it yet, brace yourself or watch the movie and then come back. So uh, we open up here and and the film uh, opens up with this this monstrosity thing that's like just barreling through this it, through this. Woods. It just looks like a, a, a in, like a, it's. It's in it. Well, it's in it's an embodiment of a demon, apparently. Um, but it's it's yes. like it looks like a walking, full like a worm monster, you know. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a worm monster, and you don't really know what it is yeah. until the until like these worms kind of pull back, and you see it's a giant boar. Yeah. And what we learn is that it's a boar god, that's come um. That's come from the west. And and it's come so far that it's it's just been like wreaking destruction in a in a pathway all the way towards this this Emish uh, village, and the reason why oh Emishi it says Emishi not Emish but Emishi uh, village and there's a lot of like full not folklore but like legend about the Emishi people I don't really want to go into all of that they're just kind of like this ancient tribal people in like east like northeastern Japan. And that's kind of, and that's where Ashita, Ashitaka is a prince from. Yeah. And what happens is this thing is barreling towards this village, and Ashitaka is battling with it, and he's riding on his red elk, uh, Yukul. Yukul. Yeah. I, it sounds about right. Yeah. It? Yeah. yeah. It's it's Y U K U L. Yeah. So Yukul. Well, I was gonna and, say I was gonna say real quick. If people have a hard time imagining what we're trying to describe to them, th- yeah. if you if you've ever seen Avatar: The Last Airbender. <laughs> That show kind of gives you an idea. That's an American, you know, anim- animation that a lot of people have seen. It gives you a lot of ideas about when you're talking about spiritualism, like with the earth and with like animals and things. It's kind of how this looks, where you got these embodiments of like the spirits of the forest, and you got and they turn into these big, large kind of like, you know, just entities that you know can you know take over other things <laughs> and and have these very weird like smaller versions of themselves that are like animals that are like we you know so like in this case this demonic presence entity attached itself to this boar god and it's now you know looks like a yeah, big worm bo- monster yeah. yeah this boar god has a name called nago yeah which i think they learn later in the movie 
because initially they don't know. What what ends up happening is while Ashitaka is battling with it, um, these worm things latch onto latch onto his right arm. Yeah. And he becomes infected with this curse, with this disease. And and he ends up killing he does end up killing this boar and as it's dying, the elder the elder woman from the village like says uh, says very nicely, you know, you know, great boar god, we're you know, we'll we'll bury you here, we'll give you all the rights of you know, that a god, you know, requires. And he says I hate basically says I hate humans. <laughs> yeah, well basically what we understand I think what we under, end up understanding later on is that is the, the the boar god was fighting with I guess the People that we yeah, were. I didn't want to reveal it so soon, but yeah, because we get all the backstory later. Yeah, but you know, you know how we are. We, we we're gonna end up skipping yeah. it if we don't think of talk about it now. That's true. But what, uh, what they do discover is a is a hunk of iron inside this inside the board guard, which is what which is what caused it to go to be infected to, and yeah and be possessed, you know, demonically. I use demonically in quotes because I think it's more. It's I think the whole curse thing and more meta. And just the whole demon possessing things of these animals is extremely metaphorical. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I think this hunk of metal is extremely important to keep in mind. Well, it's about it's along. it's the, you know this industrialism of that the people are changing the, na- the you know the natural world. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's the metaphor for that and how they're driving these animals and these spirits out of the forest and making them go bad and making them and go. There's, back, yeah, and there's, there's extreme negative consequences from that. Yeah. Um, so they, so he, so Ashitaka is cursed now, and he has these kind of like purplish rashes or something on his right arm. Yeah. And he meets with the rest of the, I guess you know, leaders of the village. The uh, council. <laughs> council, if you will. <laughs> the elders. And the, uh, yeah, and the uh, the elder woman is she's like kind of using like mysticism to like you know make a decision or to like forecast well, reminded me a lot of astrology actually. well i was gonna say also before we get we move on the uh as the boar is dying it, it, the demon lets them know that uh he was they're gonna it's gonna come back and kill them all <laughs> yeah You're basically tell them to go, go f themselves <laughs> basically it's like uh i might be dying now but i'm gonna find a way to come back and i'm gonna kill all of you Thank you, Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like basically, uh, yeah. Screw, screw you, humans. And then, it, it, I mean, when it's when I say this is graphic animation, the thing dissolves like it's like its body melts. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, but there's and blood and, and decapitations all over this movie. Oh yeah, yeah, this is yeah, this is a violent movie. But this this and, in turn, I think, is part of the reasons for what the council decides to do with our main character here. You know, is is the the they're scared. Um, Oh you yeah. I mean basically what what after she cast the stone she basically says like, you know, this this curse is going to seep into your bones and you're going to die. And you basically have two choices. Either, you know, you know, die, accept it and die, or travel westward and find out the origin of this curse and perhaps you can find a way to cure well, it. I thought I, I thought that they uh you know they they exiled him that he couldn't come back. Well, what happened? Well, I think by their tradition, I think since they're so isolated, because I think we got that sense that they are extremely isolated sure. in this area of Japan. That once you leave, you can't come back. Okay, because you um, don't want anybody to bring bring them back to where they're at. Yeah, 
Basically, yeah. Because, yeah. like, there's a part later, way later on in the movie, where someone asks him, you know, where are you from? And he's like, I'm from north and uh, somewhere between north and east, and that's all I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, So, obviously, yeah. like, they're very, like, secret and hidden away. Yeah. Um. So, obviously, he can't leave, but there's a sense of sadness of that because they even say that, you know, we are kind of like a, like a, not an extinct, um you know, group of people, but, you know, you know, our young people are extremely vital to our survival. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, you know, they will, you know, carry on, you know, they'll have children, they'll carry on the generations. And for their prince, and I don't know how their hierarchy works, to be exiled, it must be a huge blow in terms of, like, their ability to keep existing as a people. Sure. I didn't see any, uh, the thing is, we don't really see any other young male people within that village. Yeah. We see a lot of young uh, female women in that village. Um, there's one specifically as he's leaving that gives him a, um, isn't it like a, a diamond dagger? I think. Yeah, well, yeah, the the girl, yeah, um, girl, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that's like his sister. They is really it, don't yeah. explain that. Th- that's the um, one thing I'll say is I really wish we would have gotten a little bit more of his life at the beginning. Yeah, it's a little the the intro. It's not even like first act stuff. It's just like the this whole intro is very very quick. Yeah, it's like. Like 15, 20 minutes. It's not a lot of time. I don't even think it's 20 minutes. It's, and yeah, it's quick. He's up and gone and he's on his adventure right away. And we don't get that sense of like how his village operates or anything like that. Or any, we don't even know if he has parents. <laughs> like we never even know, we don't even know if he has parents. Um, but he's, but he leaves and he's on his way. And he says his goodbye and he leaves with his, his red elk, Yukul, Yukul. I'm going to have trouble saying that. Yukul. And he like, and we get that, and we get this lovely kind of montage of just him traveling through the country, beautiful countryside. Um, and then he comes up upon people fighting. Yeah. And and what happens is he's just trying to like, it look, isn't it like samurais that are attacking yeah, it's a village? Like samurais that are like fighting like villagers or farmers. Yeah. And they're kind of, and it's like women and like just men with like pitchforks and stuff that are trying to fight against guys with like. Uh, spears and swords and stuff, and they're kind of you know they're getting ki- they're getting killed, and he's just trying to make his way through. But they notice him, yeah. And they're like, oh no, there's another one. So they decide to attack him, and he's like, I'm just trying to get through. Just let me through. <laughs> I don't want to mess with anybody. Yeah. And but what happens is is when he sh- when they're attacking him and he tries to fight back, the the curse almost al- almost activates itself, like it becomes sentient. Yeah. It starts like taking over his actions, and his arm starts like bulking out and like vibrating and and what happens is he, when he releases an arrow it like takes some guy's head off no it takes some guy's <laughs> arms off yeah and pins it against the tree very graphic and then there's another guy when he's going along he takes the dude's head off yeah and it's like wow like, uh, yeah, yeah this, maybe this, you should just let this guy along yeah this this curse has a uh you know you could say a superpower effect uh you know it gives him the gives him kind of super strength in a way um or super abilities and what is interesting about it is it only seems to show up when he gets angry yeah yeah it's kind of like you know the incredible hulk he only like shows up when bruce banner gets angry yeah it's kind of something similar to that like a superpower and that's kind of when i think there's a lot of fantasy elements in general but that's one of the major kind of i think human fantasy you know um amalgamations in the movie uh combinations yeah and so he 
he rides away from from that scenario and he ends up in this 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 other village i think and he comes across uh he's trying to buy rice yeah. and he pays with gold and they don't like, they don't recognize they don't accept gold yeah yeah they don't yeah. really know what it's it's worth so they want they want you know real like money like money or whatever the currency yeah. is at that time so there's a guy who's also their name uh i'll say uh, Jico? Yeah, Jigo? Oh, boy, that's rough. It's J-I-G-O. So Jigo. Jigo. Yeah, Jigo. And he's and he's posing as a monk. Or and he's and he recognizes him from from the from the scene that happened right before this. Yeah. Um he recognizes him and he kind of like and he and he interrupts and he tells the the woman who's selling the rice, you know, this is worth like five bags of five bags of gold. Is there a money change around here? I'll exchange this gold right now. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. And what ends up happening? I think she ends up taking. She it. She ends up he, like, uh, you know, give me that back. <laughs> yeah, give me that back. Give me that back. So, but he ends up. Yeah. So he's riding. So Ashitaka is going out, leaving the leaving the village, and Jigo kind of goes up to him. He's like, hey, you know, you're welcome. He's like, I think he says like, you know, you're welcome or something like that or. It's like I got your bag of rice, you know. Like yeah, you know, I got, like, yeah. It's me. like you know, it's like you're welcome for me helping you out back there or something like that. Um, you get the feeling that this guy is kind of a untrustworthy, a shifter. Well, he, like I said, he's, 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 he's posing he's, as he's, a monk, he's attaching himself to to meet his own needs. He doesn't care about yes. it. He's just trying to find ways to get get by. Yeah, yeah. He's opportunistic to say yeah, the least. Yes. That, yeah. So he so he attaches himself to him and. And it's only for one night initially. Yeah. And they they start talking about stuff, and they start talking about, um, you know that there's he they end up talking about how there is a there's a a, a deer god in a great forest somewhere uh, to the west, and he's like, and he's this great being, and he'll probably be be able to get the curse off of his arm, get the curse off of him, to heal him basically. And that's where Ashitaka decides to go. And he leaves the next morning and leaves him there. But, he, but Chico, Chico makes a return later on in kind of a more sinister way. Um, and it, what is interesting is there's a lot of traveling here going on. And we're just kind of setting up for, I, I would say, the main plot of the movie, which kicks in very, very quickly. Um, so there's um, there's a group of people that are leading like these these oxen up the up this mountain. Well, they're trying to get heading... rice to their camp, um, their their town. Well, actually, they're they're trying to get. I think they have iron. It's either it's well, either you know, it was iron. iron it was iron. Supplies. It was iron and food supplies. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a combination of like. But thing, it's weird because they they say they get um they get iron from sand. Yeah. And so they're so they're bringing all of that there because they're you what what happens is they're heading to this place called Iron Town, um. Which is apropos because they manufactured iron in Iron Town, and and they're taking all this stuff there, and and it's raining, and they're trying to get these oxen up this up this mountain, and what ends up happening is they end up getting attacked by this wolf pack. There's these three, there's this one giant wolf, and then no 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 there's these two big white wolves, and there's a giant, and there's a giant um. Wolf, white wolf. Well, she's the she's the well, she's a wolf goddess. She's the wolf goddess that is the guardian of the forest. Yeah, called Moro. Yeah, and riding one of the wolves is a human girl, 
and the human girl is called Sand, but later on we learn that the people of Irontown call her Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Um, and so they're attacked, and and what we learn is that they have what I guess we could consider to be muskets or early form of muskets. Basically, not, it's like it's like if guns, you have like a an yeah. anvil, like a bomb that you like you know light the fuse. It has like a fuse at the top of it that you light, and then it shoots out bullets at the other end. It's kind of yeah. it's it's very very it's, uh, it's like early early form of guns. Yeah, basically. yeah. Or even it's not quite cannons, but like they might as well be holding like they're like rifle cannons, like rifle cannons, because yeah. they because they use like hunks of metal, like hunks of ball like ball bearings that are metal, but it's like a, it's like a significant size, and that's what was in the the boar god at the beginning of the movie was these hunks of metal. So we're starting, I think, as you know. Viewers, viewers were starting to piece together where this boar god came from already without them actually having to tell us. And what happens is while they're being attacked, um, they they repel the attack from wolves. The Amoro uh, is about to attack Lady Eboshi, who's the leader of these people. And she and Moro gets like, she gets shot once. And then she also gets like, fl- they have like flamethrowers or something like yeah. that? That they use, like makeshift... Uh, flamethrowers to, to repel her she like falls off the mountain but they also say and one of the guys says like oh we got her this time he's like and then and lady of she's like no they, she's immortal because you know she's a god um but what happens is some of the people who were accompanying you know this oxen drive if you will they fall off the mountain and what is interesting is like i think the guy one of the guys tells lady of you know should we go get them or what happened no she just continues on and it's kind of we'll get into her a little later but she's not entirely evil but not entirely good she has specific reasons why she does the things she does and we'll get into that when she literally kind of brings it up later on but so people so she kind of leaves the people for dead her own people which is not the best thing but ashitaka decides that he he discovers two people in the water down below in this river, and he's going to rescue them. Basically, he carries he carries one himself and lets the other one ride on on the ox. Yes, but he also confronts. This is the first time he confronts um, Princess Mononoke or San for the first time, and he he sees them across the way. She and, she's like sucking the blood, the poison, yeah, which was I don't know if it was maybe she thought it was poison or yeah. I don't know, but it's it's that image you see on... I've seen it on the poster for the movie. I've seen it in promos for the movies. I've seen it in stills from the movie. Even before I even saw the movie, it's her standing there with, like, blood all over her face and kind of really hammering home the idea that, you know, this is someone who was, you know, raised by wolves and has that animal nature in her already, and we see that come out a lot during the movie. And, 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 and if, we see it right off the bat. And, and also, the, the term Mononoke apparently means, like, supernatural. So, like, she's mm. like the princess of the supernatural. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, and he... Let me see. So he's going to... And so now he has these two people that he's trying to get back to wherever they come from. And he decides that he's going to take them through the forest because he can't get through the river because... It's too much of a... The current's too much. He would never be able to get across. Um, and what happens is along the way, he encounters um, 
these little sprite-type supernatural creature things called Kodama. Yeah. And he he confronts many of them. They're like and they're what, like the porgs of this movie. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but they're more spiritual and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like yeah. they're like they're an indication that the forest is healthy. That's yeah, what yeah. he says. And it's part of like Japanese folklore and they're like these little spirits. And they make these little like echoing like rattle type sounds like yeah. their heads move then like ricochet back and they rattle. Um, kind of a little creepy. I'm not gonna lie. Honestly, if if you saw these in real life, you, you'd freak out. Yeah. Yeah, it's like something out of a horror movie, but they're not like they're not horror. Like they don't kill you or anything. They're not chasing you. They don't or do anything. anything. Yeah, yeah. They really don't do anything. They just kind of stand there. And and Ashitaka says, "Yeah, uh, Yukio is not frightened, so obviously they don't pose a threat." Yeah. And they don't. And what happens is they kind of lead him through the forest, and. And initially, the guy. What's interesting, the guy from Iron Town, the one who's he only he only has a broken arm. The other guy's completely out of it. Is he's frightened to death of these things? <laughs> Absolutely, completely beside himself. He's so scared of them, and it kind of just goes to show you the fear, the uh, misunderstanding, and fear that exists between you know humanity and the natural world, or humanity and something else that they don't. They're not that they don't know of or that they've been told is evil. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, for all we know, that this guy could have been told that everything, you know, spiritual from the forest is evil and will kill you. Yeah. And that could be, and for in his mind, that could be 100% true. But that turns out that that is not really true. But all he knows is what is um, what they've been dealing with in their relationship with the forest, which we'll learn is very antagonistic. So he's initially, of course, scared or whatever, and whatever. So, but while Ashitaka is making his way through the forest, he makes it to like this, this this spring type area, like deep in the forest, and he says like, "Oh, this is must be where, um, the those you know the wolves live with that girl," and it's very kind of quiet and spiritual. And it's not quite a swamp, but there's water and there's trees in it as well but over in the distance as they're deciding to rest in this kind of like glowing yellow light there's these deers like kind of walking through and one stops and all we really see is kind of like the silhouette of what he believes is the deer god and i guess it comes turns out it was the deer god and he sees it and it's very very interesting you know getting that kind of look the first time and what he sees later on is pretty accurate to what he sees then just you know more close up um but he makes it through these forests and he makes it uh to like this riverbank to where the people are and he ends up going to iron town and so these sprites did actually lead him through the through the forest and what is interesting is by going through the forest he seemed to make he seemed to have made it there just as the same amount of time as the people who were going like the long way through like like the mountain and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting how they pointed that out. I just found that interesting. It's kind of like, you know, had they been on peaceful terms with the forest, they probably would be able to travel faster and safer than having to like traverse a mountain. Sure. <laughs> but they, but since they not, they have to do everything the hard way. Yep. Um, so Ashitaka is kind of introduced to the people right there on the riverbank. And, and the guy's the guy's wife comes out 
um, her name is Toki, and she, she, and she's very, um, how do I say this, Stephen? Um, charismatic. Sure. Yeah, you could say, yeah. uh, you know, uh, a handful. Uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, she's. Yeah, she's she's criticizing him because he's got a broken leg and a broken arm and he can't <laughs> drive the oxen anymore. Instead of being like super happy that he's not dead. <laughs> well, what you realize, what, which, what what we end up realizing is, is basically all the women that live in this place uh, used to be uh, women of the night. Basically, what what we yeah what we do <laughs> learn one is that that is true there. And we also learned that they work the iron, they work the forge. Yeah, yeah. They're the ones who keep the fire going with this giant kind of, you know, pumping mechanism. Yeah. That's deep within iron, the ironworks. And it's basically them that run the place. Yeah. Um, and keep the place going because these, this iron that they get from sand is apparently extremely valuable to the point where we learn later on in the movie that they're that they're attacked for it by other samurai other yeah. samurai groups other clans other tribes people and and so Ashitaka's brought in and um, uh, Lady Aboshi wants to meet with him later on and there's an interesting exchange between Toki and and uh, and um, Ashitaka where she's like you know because because uh, Ashitaka's got that like this this covering on like this whole big kind of like his face is like half covered, his head is covered, and like his the like he's got this long kind of thing that's made out of like straw or something, and she she tells him you know take it to take it off to see if he's handsome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, these women, these and, women, uh, they, oh yeah, they're very they're very open. Open. I wouldn't say promiscuous isn't the word. Promiscuous is not the word, but they're very, they're very open by the way they talk and by they act, and they're very free in the way in which they talk and the way they act. They're not, they're not being controlled by anyone. It's a very kind of refreshing and progressive little society that they have there. Well, their well, their leader is a their a, leader is a woman. So yeah, their leader is a woman. That not only that, but just the the freedom in which the way these women can talk and act. Um, it, they don't feel like they're oppressed. Like they're not. They're not afraid to say stuff like that. You know what I mean. They're also not afraid to say stuff that they say really right in the next scene, yeah, because um, they uh, Ashitaka is eating with the other men, and the women are there in in like the doorway, and they're like, you know, Ashitaka, you know, you know, come visit us sometime, and all that kind of stuff. Like they're playing with him. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. And yeah, you know, they're being flirtatious and playing with him, and he says that, and he says, it basically. What he learns from the men is we learn the backstory of the fight between uh, the people and the forest. We learn that the people have used up all of the resources around Iron Town to get to get the iron, and now they've had to go to the forest and basically start t- burning down wood and taking up land to get more iron. And what we learn is that uh, the boars. Um, fought back against that. They would attack yeah. them while they were and, doing that. And this is where this really reminds me of Lord of the Rings. It, you know, it makes me yeah. think of Two Towers, makes me think of how the the, the big trees decide they want to fight back against uh, Saruman and, and, you know, and... It, it's literally nearly the same thing that happened in Lord of the Rings, where in Lord of the Rings, Saruman was burning up Fangorn Forest yeah. to, to use his forges to create... Um, 
you know, armor and weapons and yeah. stuff, basically to basically to fuel and fund the the war. But it was a whole metaphor for like the war machine and industrialization and you know how you know man is using up its resources in order to like fund evil things and and to fund uh, you know the in industry and neglecting nature and stuff like that. And that's where the that's where the themes start kicking in in this movie very very quickly. And it's really it's it really kind of paints that you know to be a really obvious theme and what we learn is that the and this is where we officially learn that that hunk of metal that basically that bullet or that musket ball is from here is is it was from during the battle between the people in iron town and the boars from the mountain and and this is where that thing kicks off where i think I think that hunk of metal, like I said earlier, metaphorically, like as we said, um, you know, symbolizes the man's taking over of nature and corrupting nature and all that kind of stuff and, and making nature become more demonic, more cursed, more evil. And what happens is like that curse has spread now to other you know, parts of the country that weren't expecting it to happen. And now there's dire effects there because... Ashitaka now has this curse and he's you know for all he knows he's going to die now and if he didn't stop that boar you know his whole village would have probably died yeah so it just kind of shows like how the the macro effect of all of what happened in this one place you know however many miles away can affect other places you know far away and we see that now with like with everything you know everything has its effect in other places it just it just spreads like you know like a disease. So he kind of gets a little pissed and his arm starts uh, starts vibrating and he has to like hold it and the guy's like, oh, something wrong with your arm? He's like, no, nah, I've got it under control. So he decides he's going to go see the women and where they work and and, they're, and they start like saying like, oh, we're going to have to start wearing makeup and all this kind of stuff. It's really kind of funny lightheartedness that's in this very serious movie. But what happens is he goes and sees Lady Eboshi now because now he knows, like, this is where it's from. Yeah. He wants to, like, you know, he wa- basically wants wants to confront her about it in not so many, not so many ways. So he goes there and, and she kind of, like, kind of, like, expositionally tells him everything he needs to know about Irontown and why she does the things she does and... And what she's doing, what we learn is kind of how, how, like Steven said, is that this is a place where she has taken kind of outcasts from other places and given them something to do or to be productive, where she's literally bought in the freedom of, you know, of women who uh, were prostitutes or sex slaves or whatever. And he's given and she's given them a home. And something to do and work in the iron, uh, the iron forge and whatnot. But she's also taken people who I assume have some type of skin disease. I'm assuming leprosy. That just seems to be seems to be the major skin disease that plagued a lot of people. Was leprosy. We don't really see the full effects, but we see how these people are even isolated within Iron Town in a, in a separate place because they don't want that disease to spread. And what we learn is that she's been extremely compassionate towards them, and even though they're, you know, essentially slowly dying, she's given them a home and a place 
and and a thing to do and a place to live and given and treating them with more dignity than probably the rest of the world has and it's very compassionate so this is what we're learning is that she's not entirely evil but she's also not entirely good either because you know she's making weapons <laughs> she's making she's making uh we also learn that she's making like lighter and more efficient weapons that are going to like pierce pierce armor and like kill quicker and be lighter and easier and now the women can operate them as well not just not just the men and 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 so we're getting into kind of themes kind of kind of like things aren't black and white in the world things are more gray well, I kind of like that. Typically, even for instance, I mean, like if you know this, you know her, <clears throat> the things that she does that are that are very good things, taking care of sick people and things like that. Could you know you could say she probably started out as a person that really wanted to do them things, but realized that there's always somebody that wants something from you, and the, their enemy. Which I don't know that we really get deep into the political strife between. You know, they're they're who they're fighting in their war. I don't think we get too too deep into why they're fighting. I would assume it's just over land and over resources, and you know, you know, taxes. You know, like paying money to people. Um, you know, like yeah. like so. I'm sure if if she could just do her thing and not be interrupted by others, she would. Um, but you got this uh, this this you know clan of other people. Uh, these samurai, and uh, they, I'm sure they want something from them. Um, probably resources, probably the steel, probably the iron, um, and you know. Yeah, that I mean, if you study history, just the history of warfare in general, it's always it's mostly for the for the most part comes down to people wanting what other people have. Yeah. Uh, whether it's land, instead of it's trying resources. to make their own way and find their own path, they'll try to they'll decide to take it from somebody else first. Yeah, you know, um, and you know what happens is warfare. We, I mean, humanity in general has been consistently at war for seemingly forever. Well, it's a business. It's history. a business now. <laughs> yeah, now it's a it's a multi million dollar business. Oh, it's a billion dollars. It's billions, globe. buddy. It's billions. Yeah, billions. Yeah, billions <laughs> now. And spanning the globe. So it's like, it's it, it's only gotten worse. <laughs> it's only gotten worse. So, yeah, I mean, and, so so she has had to become a hardened, more of a hardened person and, and compromise probably some of her moral um, ethics, you know, to yeah. to continue to do the things that she, the good things she does. Um, yeah, yeah. And what we also learn is that she believes that um, the uh, the blood from the the forest spirit can like slow or cure uh, the disease the the leper's disease. Yeah. So in a way, she's altruistically wanting to kind of destroy the forest to help the people. <laughs> in a way, and and yet again, it's a very gray thing. Because I don't think it comes from an. It doesn't come from an area of malice or hatred towards the natural world. It comes from an area of. You know, practic not practicality, but an area of like well, trying to survive. Well, it you is know, not survive, it, it, but like live. Well, like I need, like you know what I mean. I think I think, I think it's tough to everybody's every everything that you know is alive. That it's it, so there's a survival instinct. 
I think also with humans, we have this tendency to want to control things. And people dying, you know, is something that's out of our control. So we intend to, a lot of people, there's certain people that will go, go to great lengths to keep somebody from not dying or not, you know, you know, whether it be because of hunger or, or re, you know, any kind of resources. And in this case, she's willing to sacrifice something that she doesn't really care that much about to save people. You know, right. she doesn't feel like that. It's, we deal with this with the climate problem we have now. They, people want to want the easy thing, the thing that we've always been used to, the thing that people say they need now, and they're willing to to look past the and sacrifice things, and then not think about the future, and, and right. they're not thinking about destroying. They're not thinking about what <clears throat> destroying the forest will do for them in the future, you know, because they don't oh, understand yeah. it. <clears throat> you know. Oh yeah, it's all it's it's very greed based. Yeah, it's very much based off of, you know, the present versus the future. And, and it's, it's, it's a theme that's prevalent in this movie. It's prevalent, like you said, in our society and it's, it's constant. And what what we're seeing is the negative repercussions of that we see in this movie and we see in real life as well. We know, I mean, this shouldn't be a political thing that, you know, humanity is overtaxing the natural resources of the planet and then therefore there are negative results of that. We see it all the time. The problem is the people who make all the money off of that don't want that to be true because then they look bad. You know what I mean? Well, it's so not it's that like, they look bad, but then they have to change their whole... Yeah, but then they have to change what they've been making they won't money make their money. Yeah, they won't make their money anymore. <laughs> but it shouldn't... Like, I've always had this thing where, like, if you see pictures of something... I mean, I don't want to go through a whole, you know, political thing, but, like... You know, you know, climate change and stuff like that. If you see pictures from like 40 or 50 years ago of a glacier and then you see it today and it looks smaller and different, that means that something has changed. Like, you know, like there's a basic change in the way There's a certain amount of uh, common sense to it. Yeah, there's like a common, like, there's a, it's obvious. You know what I mean? That yeah. something's different. Yeah, and it's, why you is know, it when, different? When, like, all of California is just going up in flames. Because yeah. like it's always it's a drought over there and it's always it's super dry. Yeah. Like you you know you know when there's when there's double the amount of like hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff. There's got to be a reason for that. There's these things don't aren't just happening, and we got to understand how humanity plays into that. And humans, for all intents and purposes, we see it in movies, we see it in real life. They hate being criticized or being held responsible for certain things. Sure, especially negative things. And, and it's really prevalent throughout our, throughout our world. And in this movie, we kind of see that too, where these people are not really taking responsibility for their actions because they have other pursuits, personal pursuits. Yeah, they're blinded by their own pursuits. I mean, they're not thinking about what their actions are going to do to the natural world at all. So, no. And Lady, I mean, and Lady Eboshi, what we. And what, but what we also learned from Lady Eboshi herself is that the natural world is trying to take back what they've lost, where we learn that these these apes are like replanting trees at night when you know when the people aren't watching. Yeah. And we see we see that in real life where like you know if if you if you've cemented over a place and you and after a long while you'll see you'll see like you know grass try to grass or plants or something try to go through it through the cracks you start seeing things crack and start seeing you know the you know the natural world take over you see that all the time they always say these things like 
if you block off a city and like just evacuate it and then come back in like you know however many years it's going to be covered in vegetation oh, yeah because the natural world just keeps coming just keeps just keeps regrowing and and you kind of see how in in this movie that the natural world is is sentient like really sentient like like the boars talk the apes talk you know the wolves talk and they're trying to re- reclaim their world or preserve their world yeah for the most part, and you've got humans trying to take it for themselves. And it, but what is interesting is you also have um, Lady Lady Eboshi is a really um, fascinating character in and of herself because, like we've said, in terms of her duality in morals, but also the fact that she's a woman and she's leading these people. You don't typically see that in movies, you know, set in these times. Yeah. And you don't see that in... in um, in general and it's really progressive and really fascinating but what you also see now this is leading into like the next part of the movie is the duality of man and nature and man and animal within the character of san or princess mononoke she's very animalistic yeah but she's also human because like she can like talk and stuff um it's very reminds me kind of you know rudyard kipling's the jungle book with mowgli how he's both you know, he's literally raised by wolves, as Princess Mononoke is. Yeah. And so, but in the next scene, what happens is the wolves attack Iron Town. Yeah. And with uh, with San, and what happens is San infiltrates Iron Town, and she's like kind of, you know, she's uh, she's fighting a couple people, she's leaping over rooftops, trying to get to Lady Eboshi, and and it's really interesting how she's very, you know, she's. I think the whole fantasy supernatural thing kind of links up with her. Is she's really fast, really athletic, really you know skilled in moving around and stuff. You know what I mean? She's like, you know, like we said, like adopting both of the animal and human instincts, and and she eventually gets to Lady Eboshi. Well, she, she confronts she, well, she confronts Ashitaka. Yeah, he beforehand. tries to stop her, but then he has to fight her off, and then she gets away from him, and um. Then heads to a, a group uh, the, the, in the middle of the town. Everybody's kind of gathered, and she's there. And uh, Princess Mononoke gets up to her and starts to fight her. Um, yeah, she wants to kill her. Yeah, oh, basically. Yeah. And and what happens is the um, the curse kind of takes over Ashitaka, <laughs> kind of sends him into whole kind of super super saiyan mode i say sure yeah, <laughs> i refer- yeah. I've never I've referenced to another japanese anime in dragon ball z and he and he i this is actually one of my favorite sequences in the movie where he's just like walking through here like indestructible like yeah like a terminator almost and he's he's got this these these like supernatural like worm things kind of go around him a la like what was happening earlier but it's not quite as severe and he's just like walking along and you know one guy tries to go up him with the, tries to attack him with a sword and he, he able he's able to like bend the sword backwards yeah, yeah. with one hand and he he tries to stop them from fighting tries to be the mediator to stop Lady Eboshi and Princess Mononoke from fighting and of course you know they're not listening to reason and I think he gets I think Lady Eboshi cuts him in the face, I think. Yeah. And he gets kind of mad and he like punches her in the stomach, knocks he her He gets out. in between both of them. And then, yeah, yeah, and like hits one. He knocks out, he knocks knocks out both out. of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, knocks out both of them, knocks out Mononoke, 
and then he picks up Mononoke, and then, like, somebody comes and, like, he t- takes Lady Eboshi. He's like, yeah, she'll be fine. <laughs> she'll be fine. So he just he's just carrying her out, and the, and, the, and the Iron Town people are kind of shocked, kind of amazed. Um, and then you have one of, of the course, ladies that yeah, decides to get, like, she tries to speak up and say, hey, you know, you did this to my lady, you know, I'm not going to let, let you just go. So he just keeps walking out. And then yeah. she act, she she says she's gonna shoot him, and it doesn't seem like she's gonna do it. But then, yeah, he's he's like, I don't think you're gonna do it, basically. Yeah, so he just keeps walking, and then it kind of by accident it goes off. The gun goes off. Yeah, she gets like bumped or whatever, and then like she kind of like accidentally hits, and he gets shot like through the chest. Yeah, yeah. But he keeps walking. Yeah, and they're and just like, like, what? It's like whoa, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> whoa. He's in, when he, I first he, saw that, I was like. Holy shit! He just, he, just, he just took it. He's going. He's like immortal now. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's like what's immortal. What's going on? So he gets like the front gate, and then like the people, and then like the guards are like, "Yeah, you know, you helped us earlier. Don't make us, don't make us do anything. Make us do anything." And he just, he just says like, "This is the way I came in. I'm going out this way." Yeah. <laughs> what happens? is He's like, it, apparently, it takes like ten people to lift this gate open, like this giant wooden gate that you gotta like push out like a bench press almost and he does it with one hand yeah. while he's like bleeding out on the ground while the blood is like hitting the ground and everybody's just like standing there like holy shit what the <laughs> hell's going on here and he and he walks out walks the wo- out. the wolves show up and the wolves start r- running toward the thing and he's like you know don't don't do anything i got your i got you know your princess here or whatever whatever he says and yeah so his ox comes out. through and he gets on and then they they head yeah, out, right, out to the forest. He gets out. And um, he gets he gets like clear of iron of ironworks and then he like passes out because yeah. you know he just got shot. <laughs> and then one of the wolves like starts to like bite his head off. Yeah, and, and then <laughs> yeah, Mononoke doesn't want that. Mononoke wants to kill him herself. Yeah, and he tr- and she tries. To, she's about to, and she's like, you know, why did you why did you do that? And and it's it's and and basically he 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 treats her like a human and it takes her back. Yeah, that's that's how I read the situation. I mean, I mean, it, he he's basically trying to keep her from doing something she's going to regret. Um, and and also, you know, he's also seen the other side of, you know, he's seen her the the lady and that that she's not all bad. Um. Well, what what I'm specifically referring to is that he tells her that she's beautiful. Yeah. And then she's kind of taken aback by that. Yeah. Like, that's what stops her. Yeah. And her, that's what stops her. And I'm wondering why that stops her. Other than, the only thing, and the only thing I could read about is that treating her as human is is kind of a shock to her. Yeah. That's that's kind of how I read it. I, don't I, guess, know I, I guess I I I've only seen the movie fully once, so <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, it's also a prince and princess story, so it kind of <laughs> you know I didn't even think of that. What is interesting though is, in a traditional kind of prince and princess story, there would be a romance, yeah. and it's not quite there in this no, movie. No. Like it doesn't matter. Like it, you don't need it. No. That's what I kind of love about the movie. Is like the movie doesn't need it. And it's and you can still realize that there's a connection there. Still realize that these two characters are connected to one another, and there's a relationship there. But you don't need to have it spelled out to you. Yeah. And that's the difference I think between this movie and other animated movies that we've seen 
you know, our whole lives, where that, that romance story is hammered down our throats and in our face, and it, and it's just hammered into the movie no matter what. Like, they just do it because it's standard. You gotta have to do well, it. Well, I mean, it just adds... This movie's they, like, they no, typically, it's there. Typically, that gets added into a movie because they think it'll help with the female demographic. You know, they'll... Yeah, I know. You know, they're like, oh, but well, we want to get more females to watch this movie, so let's make... Add a romance, you know. That's what... And that's been the kind of the bullshit, you know, tradition of, through our society for forever, through our, you know, our music and our movies and our TV shows that women will will automatically attach to romance because romance is typically for women. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so nauseatingly outdated. Yeah. And But in this film, it doesn't happen that way because the women that we've seen in this movie are different than the women we've seen in other movies. There isn't really, you know I mean? there, Like we said, Lady Abel, she's the leader of Irontown, you know, and she's making all of the decisions there. She's rescued other women and, and employed them into the most vital, you know, you know, you know, production process process of of Iron Town, and and yeah, so that that romance is not quite there in this movie, although it is, but it but it's not in our face. I would say I would and say I, it's more really more of a respect, respect yeah, and yeah. honor and kinship, yeah, friendship, relationship, connection. They're both they're both so very they're be, both obviously very spiritual. You yeah, know, you know. I mean, there's fantasy spirit throughout this whole movie, but what happens is um, the apes show up. And they want to take him and take Ashitaka and eat him. Yeah. <laughs> I found that to be interesting. And basically, they think that by eating his spirit, they gain his strength. Yeah. And and the way um, Mononoke kind of or San um, tells it to them is that by doing that, you also get like the human curse as well. Yeah. Because they hate humans. You know, we get this idea that the, you know, there's a there's a genuine hatred between like the natural world and the human world. Literally, and basically, they end up, they end up going away because Mononoke wants to take him to see the Deer God. Now, let me ask you: You keep saying yeah. Deer God. I thought it was the Forest God. Ah, uh, because because I mean that's that seems to be what I think they're one and the same. I, I was gonna. I mean, I, I know I know he thing. takes the form of a deer. Yeah, but but I I I was assuming that was the Forest God. Um, because that's what it ends up being at the end of the movie. It's the forest god, and it. I think the well, yeah. I just think I call it the deer god because it does take the form of a deer. Yeah. But forest god and deer god, I think, are the same okay. thing because they're literally the. I same. I just wanted to make sure because I was I, confused by the yeah, name because I remember. Co- no, no, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I just want to make sure I was thinking of the same thing because uh, I know it looks like a deer, but it's. I remember them calling it the forest god because it's like the mm. form of a, a stag, but then it's like its face is like not it's like almost more human features yeah we'll get to that because we're yeah. about to see it yeah. right away yeah so she takes well uh, the wolves and the wolves and her take him deep into the forest into like this metal groove type area and well this is the he, same spot he him in the in the yeah people yeah. They, they they came all across before yeah. yeah but she takes him there's like this little like island thing like in the middle of like this little river or lake or whatever. And she takes this piece of a tree, like a branch of a tree, puts it out there and then takes him through the water and puts in and then puts it. He kind of, she kind of props him, him up at the end of the, like up, up on the island with his body still kind of submerged in the water. In the like water. Half, in, half out. Yeah. And, um, and she also, what's interesting, she also takes like the reins off of Yukul, Yukul and says like, you're free now. 
yeah. go or something like that. And of course, he does. You know, I don't know what the he, it's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. He's his loyal. You know, yeah. The red he, elk doesn't leave his he side. He doesn't leave. So. Yeah, rains or no rains, I don't think like, and and that's kind of interesting. How but it's kind of interesting how both her and him have strong relationships with animals. Yeah, like I said, they're both spiritual. The yeah, thing is, the thing is, is, you could say yeah. maybe he wasn't completely there yet. Like you know, he was st- he still had reins on his ox, which is something that's more of the more it, representation of like control, control and in the yeah. industrialist world that the enemy is. Um, mm. But he's still obviously still very spiritual because he's part of this society in his town where it's very secluded and very much about keeping to a certain tradition and you know so he has a, a little bit of both um and this and, and and i think with meeting up with mononoke she, it helps bring him all the way to the spiritual side um to being fully like you know you know of that world um and of course his connection even with the demonic presence that's on his left mm. arm it also right. brings him there too you know it, it you know yeah it's almost fate if you will yeah or something like that um what is so what happens is we see we see the forest god or or dear god however you want to say it and and during a specific when it's night and when it's day it's in two different forms yeah um now i can't i think at night at night they call him the nights the night walker the night walker so it when it's at night it's a giant like (laughs) It looks like a giant gelatinous big, <laughs> creature. It yeah. looks like a big giant like uh, amoeba, deer? amoeba lizard looking thing. Yeah, like like think like Godzilla sized, but it's like gelatinous and like a clear, and it's gooey. I guess. Yeah, I mean it's just like a big spirit animal, you know. Just... Yeah, big spirit animal thing, and then at night is when it it kind of morphs back down into its deerish form yeah where it's got like the deer body and like these interesting antlers but it has like not a deer face like a flat deer face it's very odd when you first it's, see it's it. kind of humanistic it's frightening <laughs> it's a little humanistic like it's kind of yes. like that's the cre- that's the creepy part about it. it's a little humanistic it's a little humanistic it, it looks like maybe like some kind of japanese mask of mm. some sort you know something like that um well in, in a way it's kind of masking itself yeah during the day so it's not recognized. You could yeah. you imagine this giant thing walking around the forest during the day. Oh, I think people are going to see it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so he he kind of shows up and and um, decides to I guess decides to heal his wound. Um, he yeah heals his his gunshot wound. Yeah. But but what, but the way in which Miyazaki presents it is like epically beautiful, yeah. majestic, magical. Like it's mysterious. Music is pulsating, and it's walking across the water on top of the water. Yeah, mind you, and and because it's a god, so it you know can walk on water and do like mystical things. But also, as it's walking on land, like plants are sprouting up around it because it's like it's like a god that gives life, like a life god, if you will. And it kind of, and I, I I haven't I didn't bring this up earlier, but it's kind of like the you know. Whenever you hear about like indigenous um, religions or something like that, like older religions, they're very uh, connected to the spirit world. They're very connected to uh, the um, the natural world in terms of you know 
you know, praying to the natural world and things like that. I just think of like, you know, you know, the native indigenous people of the United States and all that kind of stuff. But it feels like that type of um, history, religious history is within the Japanese people as well. And so you get that connection of, you know, the gods are, the, are in the spirit natural world. And they're also the givers of life, literally in the sense, because, you know, plant life is is life. And it's very interesting how that goes, and he, and what happens is the way he heals me kind of like, like bends down and like heals him. Yeah, and then he, well, he like touches the, way, the he touches the the branch and the leaves die on it, and it kind of sprinkles over him, and then like, yeah, you know, it's like it's very it's very like mysterious. It's, it's like a it's like a beautiful ceremony. Yeah, <laughs> like and and then it's he, like a ceremony. Yeah, and then he you know yeah his heal his. And then he kind of like wakes up from it, and he's out of the water, and his now he's healed, but his arm, his arm still got the curse on it. He's still cursed. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is it like, is the was that ceremony only set up for well to heal his wound, what, to heal his gunshot wound? I don't think it was. To heal, t- I think like is it a one shot deal? Like I don't know how it no, works. No, I, I, th- I think <laughs> you know. I think he just. I mean, I I guess at the in the moment he thinks you know maybe that he can't help him, um, but mm. but I think just. There it was. No, I I, th- yeah. I think that it's just not wasn't his time yet. I think he was still he still his particular situation was still useful, um, and he still needed to learn a lesson maybe or or something before he was the curse was lifted off of him. So um, I think I think that's why that the forest guy didn't take away the curse yet. Um, right. But what what happens is who ends up showing up there is uh, the boars show up. Yeah. And. Um, and the wolves and and yeah, Moro talks to uh, this other boar god. I don't think yeah, uh, Akoto, yeah, blind boar god Akoto, and they pl- and the and they learn that they that the boars plan to attack Iron Town um, to save the forest, and and we also and we also learn. That that's where the other that's where Nago came from is from these boars. We also and then, um, basically the boars are ready to throw down because because of Ashitaka who's there. Yeah. And 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 Mononoke's like no, like the forest god healed him, so he he's uh, he's good basically, um, so he shouldn't be killed. And, and what happens is, they're able to, uh, Akoto's able to learn about what happened to Nago through. Ashitaka by like mind osmosis or something like that, like a mind read. And and I found that to be very supernatural, very, you know, fantastical. And and we also learned that um uh Moro is dying as well, but slowly. Yeah. And I think it's to do for the fact that she was shot and that that iron thing is lodged in her and probably slowly killing her. And yet again it goes back to that whole thing we were talking about about you know, humanity and iron industrialization taking over the natural world and slowly killing it. Yes. Um, and then you know, Mononoke is like upset because like you know, why don't you ask the why don't you ask the forest god to heal you? <laughs> but she's like, you know, basically we all have to go sometime. It's kind of like her rationale. And that's and that and that, and that should and, and honestly that should be the rationale of humans, which is kind of goes back to what I was saying about. Her, uh, what's her name? Uh, the lady um, running her. Lady Eboshi. Yeah, yeah, you know, she's not willing to just be like, hey, you know, some people, you know, when you die, you know, you maybe you're meant to die, you know, like, 
Well, yeah, what we literally learn is um, kind of in the in the next subsequent scenes is that um, what's his name, uh, Jigo, shows back up and he's got this decree from the emperor because they believe that the was it like the head of the forest god like grants immortality, so the emperor wants it. Yet again, yeah. what what you were just saying is like this idea that you know. Man wants to live forever, regardless of the consequences of their actions. Yeah. Um, they want their cake. So the, they want their cake and eat it too. I mean, they, yeah, they, yeah. And um, so, what happens is they spend the night. They spend the night together, uh, Ashitaka and the wolves. And we and we learn that the boars attack. I believe the following morning. Um, but there's a lot of interesting interactions between. Uh, them specifically, there's one interaction between Moro and Ashitaka like late at night when Ashitaka like wakes up and he can't sleep, and basically they have this conversation back and forth, and he, and it's over, uh, San over Mononoke Princess Mononoke. It's basically like a dad protecting her, her her daughter like in one of them movies like a. Because you know. he's like because <laughs> yeah because he's like I can, like basically I can save her like make her human again or something like that. And Moro's like, you know, she hates she hates humans and and she'll never like, you know, she'll never go back to being one because, you know, humans turned her back on her, basically threw her in my direction as they were fleeing. And so, you know, humans are trash, basically. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a very interesting conversation, very open conversation. Um, and even the next day, Moro asks you know, Mononoke's like, you have, there's a chance at another life than this with, with Ashitaka. And, and Mononoke doesn't want to take it. Still doesn't want to take it. So what happens is the wolves join in the fight with the, with the boars. And what happens is the boars are pretty much annihilated because, because of the guns and stuff like that. But what happens is while, while uh, Lady Eboshi and her men are fighting the boars, uh, other samurai attack the Iron Iron uh, Town. Yeah. And basically it's under siege. And Ashitaka goes there and sees that they're under siege. And now, and now he's going to go see... And then he learns that Lady Eboshi and Chico are going to find the deer god to try to kill it. And yeah. get the head and the blood and all that kind of stuff. And so he's like said, okay, I'll go and I'm going to go, you know, tell them that you're under attack, you know, send people back. And basically it's just the women there who are left to defend. The women who are working the ironworks now have the guns that were being made by the lepers. And now the lepers and the women are defending Irontown while the rest of the army and the men are out, you know, fighting the nature, fighting nature. And it's very interesting because metaphorically the way I'm reading it, I don't know, Stephen, if you're reading it, it's kind of like, you know, men are fighting nature while men are also fighting themselves. So it's like humanity's just like fighting battles everywhere for no reason. Not yeah. no reason, but you know what I mean? Like for dumb reasons. Yeah. You can also see that, you know, like the, you know, the fact that she leaves what you most would consider the weakest uh, behind to defend themselves by themselves is uh is typical um of human well, nature which is almost like she's sacrificing well she's when, when, when she when he eventually catches up to her he, she's like well you know 
<laughs> they yeah. can take care well, of themselves. What we did, what I didn't see is that there was another scene where uh, Jiko uh, has all of like these men, like this actual army, and he's like teamed up with Lady Eboshi. He shows her that decree from the Emperor, tells her about the head and about all this kind of stuff. He he he, we, he was like more of like a uh, like a uh, espionage. Like he would he would have men in the forest dressed up like animals. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he did, and he like, would be like, keeping... hunt, like super hunters or whatever. Yeah, and he would keep an eye on like the forest god and like find out where he's at and help with like just information. Basically, he was the information yeah. guy. Uh, yeah, basically, he was like a spy. A spy, guy. yeah, yeah. Well, basically, so he's teamed up with them. But what is interesting, I think, is when Ashitaka goes back to where there were, there was fighting. What we learn, and this is pretty messed up, Stephen. Is that like the other like they put the villagers basically in the front lines yeah. as basically cannon fodder for the boars, yep. while the other like more professional guys were like hanging back. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, well, that's just humanity just screwing each other over again, basically. And and it's like, damn, and you just see like all these like dead bodies in this mass grave, and it's like, and it's, it, it's it's villagers, it's the villagers from Iron. And Town. then the villagers that know know of our main character is you know he they they you know they're like hey you know what, what can you can, can we help like can you help like what can we do to work together to help yeah well he tells them about iron like that yeah. iron town's under siege and all that stuff and i think initially the other guys like like they try to it oh no he's trying to like lift up the boar because he sees one of the wolves underneath yes yes and then one of the guys who doesn't know who he is from like that other you know jigo army or, or hunters or whatever like it's like gonna shoot him or something yeah and the and the other, other villagers from iron town attack him and attack the other guys and basically they they get up the courage to kind of like you know take over the situation and help him lift up this dead boar on top of this uh on top of this wolf which is interesting because like the wolves have been trying to the wolves in the iron town people have been like trying to kill each other this whole time yeah. and and now like like once like banding together to try to save another and it's kind of like you know yeah like you know friends like enemies become friends if you will sure so as yeah so he so he but what happens is um yuku yuku got hit with an arrow at some point and he's got to stay well he he the, he, he, he the, the the villagers look after him yeah while, villagers look after him he goes he on killed, the back of one of the wolves and and Heads yes, to... he goes on the back of the wolves he just saved, and he goes to head up, head up to that area where we're, where everybody's going. Because what we didn't see is that at night, Jiko was in the woods and saw the forest god, uh, you know, go from tiny back down to go from giant back down to a deer, and and he and he'll um. Uh, Ashitaka, yeah. so he knows the location, so he's taken Lady Eboshi and the other hunters up there. And yeah, and so basically everyone's like kind of con- gonna be converging on this one point, and shit's about to go down. Yeah. What we also see is that um, Mononoke is is with one of the other wolves, or is and is it with. Uh, yeah, yeah, with one of the other wolves, and no, she, I no, um, Mononoke is with, um, uh, Akoto. And kind of leading him towards uh, the deer god, the the forest god. Yeah, they're 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 him. they're bleeding out pretty bad. Yeah, he's bleeding out pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, he's bleeding um, out pretty good. Like he's like he's like throwing up blood. Yeah. Like this, 
and what is uh, yeah, it's not good. It's kind of a kind of a pointless effort. Pretty here. gross. Pretty gross. Yeah, it's pretty gross. The graphic nature when these creatures are like dying and when there's blood and like other you know death liquid or whatever is gross and then uh, you know Miyazaki's not afraid to get a nice good close up of all of that either nope <laughs> so it's really gross <laughs> but then you, what, what then starts to happen is is the uh, the the evil the the demon starts to come out in the boar yes and it, yeah, and, the, and, the and it kind of worm things not kind of come out yeah and, and then it and what, it attaches itself to Mononoke and kind of keeps her hostage yeah, they... but what also happens is, like, the other, you know, those hunters, like, take the skins of the other little boars and, like, try to trick Okoto into thinking that they're still alive or they came back they came back to life or whatever. It's a very kind of messed up situation. Yeah. All these hunters, like, skinning animals and using their, you know, their skin as, you know, camouflage, if you will. Um, yeah, it's really, yeah. So all the boars basically got annihilated. Um, and like we said, all these worms kind of like, and they kind of overtake Mononoke and they're kind of like carrying her along the way into leading them to the forest. God, uh, Santa tries to, she, like she tried to stop it, but she got, she got caught up in it in, in the demonic corruption. That's a great, great word. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically Moro intervenes and tries to, um, tries to rescue Mononoke and then, and in turn, like she's. Like she already knows that she's dying, but she's gonna rescue her child, in 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 San, slash Mononoke. I keep bouncing back and forth between calling her San and Princess Mononoke. Yeah, just call her Mononoke. Some... Yeah, because at one point <laughs> in the movie, they just don't call her Mononoke. Like the only people who call her Mononoke are the Iron People, but everyone else calls her San. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Either way, it's the same. It's the same person. Um, for those of you at home listening. So, like I said, everyone's meeting up at this place, and, um. I'm trying to, I'm trying well, to remember. Well, ba- basically, yeah, know, when, when we get over. when we get there, you know, like you say, everything converges, and then the 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 forest god shows up, and and and, and the point is, is that they need to cut her head, cut its head off, and they, uh, sh- it, it, the demonic presence tries to kind of like it starts attaching itself to uh, the the lady, and she has a gun, and then she shoots the head off the deer. Yeah, what happens is, yeah, the, yeah, basically what you said is true, but what also happens is. The spirit god like euthanizes Okoto versus saving him. Yeah, because in a way it saves him by euthanizing him. Um, and but as it's walking across, shoots it, it does. Um, she shoots it or somebody shoots it, and the bullet goes through it and it kind of it phases the, the forest god a little bit. Like it starts like its its hooves start to go between below the water, but then it like recovers. Yeah. And then you realize that you have to like shoot the head at a specific spot in order to do it. And what happens is Ashitaka tries to stop Lady Eboshi by doing it by like throwing throwing a dagger at the gun. And then I think like the dear god also like makes like flowers grow on the gun or something like That's that. That's it, yeah, you're right, yeah. Yeah. And but she's still able to get the gun off and yeah, the and it hits the head at a certain spot. And Steven, when I first saw this for the first time, this whole last sequence of the movie, I was like, holy shit, this is nuts. <laughs> like, th- this is when the movie goes like, like, holy crap, this is crazy nuts. I loved it. I still love it to this day. Um, so the head comes off, but 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 it, but it was in the middle of the transformation between uh, day and night. So it was already expanding. 
and that's why the head was able to be shot off at his shot off and so like the deer body is like like is like i don't know diminishing while like the the god body is kind of floating out headless and it's just like not fully it can't fully form because it doesn't have it doesn't have a head or a brain or something like that and what happens is pure chaos just kind of ensues i think it's just wild what happens is everything that this goo of the body of this unformed unfinished body of the forest god kills everything yeah. versus giving it life it's the opposite effect and so people are trying to run away from people getting caught up in it and dying and it's just a wild scene in this like third act climax and 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 it and it's just oozing everywhere. That's all I can say is it's oozing everywhere, yeah. and it spreads over the land and it's killing everything. And the Kodama are all are all like dying too. They're all like falling out of the trees and falling out of the forest, just like just dying. And 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 basically, Jiko takes the head, puts it in like this iron basket, <coughs> and he's trying to get away. Um, Lady Eboshi's trying to get away, and what happens is. The head of Moro, like, bites her arm off. Yeah. And I thought I always thought it was really cool, to be honest with you. Um, and basically, cause like, and it's like Moro's like last thing, last act is to, you know, get some type of revenge on Lady Eboshi for all the things that she's done to the forest. Um. And so Jigo was running through the forest trying to trying to get it trying to get it away, and then Mononoke and, um. Ashitaka trying to survive, and yeah, it's like pure chaos. So, what I mean, just to just to get get you know, kind of land this plane yeah. here, <laughs> trying to land this plane here before we go on to like even longer time, is is they eventually get to Jiko and get him to give up the head to put it back because if not, they're basically all going to die. Yeah. So they're standing there with the head in hand. And the stuff, the ooze is just pouring down over me. You can just see, like, on their face and their arms and, their, you know, just everywhere. Like, the, the that kind of purplish body rot is starting to take effect. And they, they, um, and, and, and they give the head back to, to the forest god. But what happens is the forest god, I believe, still dies. Right? I believe that that still ends up happening. Yeah, the spirit dies as the sun rises, but its form it washes washes over everything and heals the land back up. Yeah, like everything that has died is now coming back to life. Um, Ashitaka and San or Mananoke, there all those wounds are healed, including I believe the original curse that was on Ashitaka is now healed as well. And yeah, everything is healed and lifted. It's kind of like nature is 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 healed now. It's correcting. Is correcting itself or yeah. correcting the world. Um, it's, it's it, I'm not doing it justice because we're trying to like you know. It's wrap kind up of a hard. It's hard here. to describe. It's really hard to explain to describe and to give it kind of its its epicness. Yeah. Because you like yeah, and that score is in there and there's just all kinds of chaos that's that's happening, <clears throat> and it's just crazy and wild. And the first time I saw it, I was just blown away by what I was seeing, like all of these different elements coming together. And just the way this climax closes out this movie, and what happens, uh, you know, at the very end is basically, um, is that Ashitaka, you know, he can't go back 
to his original home. So he decides to stay to rebuild Irontown because what happens is basically Irontown is destroyed because there's no one there to work the forge. So the forge just kind of like burns up the whole town. Um, and basically San is still going to live in the forest, but her and Ashitaka, I guess, are going to visit from time to time. Um, yeah, and Eboshi Eboshi's still alive and vows to rebuild a better town. Um, and the forest begins to regrow and the Kodama start emerging back to the forest, kind of signaling that, you know, things are getting healthy again. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. That's, yes, it's an amazing that's, movie. That is a Princess <laughs> Mononoke. That's Princess Mononoke. Um, and, 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 you know... We always suggest with foreign films, uh, international cinema, mm. to watch it in its language. Uh, you know, it's it's yes. just always the best way. But if you have to, um, a lot of the you know the U.S. versions have uh, dubs that are done by prominent actors for the most part. They are. Yeah, I've never actually listened to the dubs, but I'm glad you brought it up because there's a di- there's a difference. Yeah, I mean, like um, um, like I did watch it with the dubs just for the fact of not. It's just a little less work, um, mm. but you know, like this movie's the the, the voice acting. You got uh, Gillian Anderson. Um, you have uh, Billy Crudup. You have Clara Danes, yep. Minnie Driver, Jada Pinkett Smith, Billy Bob Thornton. So it's a big cast, and a lot of these dubs that Disney has done for for these Ghibli movies have been big casts. Um, so yeah, they went they went they they really casted like really great actors. Prominent actors, Pro- prominent, not necessarily roles. great voice actors, but just good, like well-known names. Yeah. So. Now, I've now personally for me, you know, my I'm a traditionalist. Yeah. Um, I, I, like I said, I watched the movie five times already, and every single time was always in the original Japanese. And the reason why I always do that, and this is not, I'm not knocking anybody who does it. People do this with the Japanese anime television series all the time, whether it's dub versus sub. People have big fights on the internet over this, and I'm like, come on, people, what are we doing? <laughs> just, just just, watch the stuff. But, like, for me, I just always like to see the original version of sure. anything just because it, it gives you that original intention because sometimes with, with English dubs, you know, they it's not a straight translation from the Japanese. They ch- Sometimes they change... Um, dialogue and that can be that can change situations and change the meaning of things. That's why I personally don't do it. But I don't care whether people do it or not. It's really not my it's not my personal preference. Do sure, it's 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 a, however um, what, however you want to experience the movie, you're gonna get yeah. almost a exact. You know, I I would assume the uh, translations pretty pretty accurate. Um, um what ha- and just for people physical media people. Um, there is a blue, there are two Blu-ray editions actually. Um, there was one that was put out by Disney slash Disney Buena Vista. That's a fun name to say. And then there's a new one that I have that is um, that's put out by G Kids and it's through Shout Factory. And that one is is really really good. Um, came out three years ago or so, and that one has uh, that has the English dub and the Japanese one. What I like though is that in the settings. Is it tells you that like the English subtitles say you know you know translation from Japanese because a lot of times what happens is you get two English subtitle tracks on a lot of foreign stuff specifically Japanese and one of the English stuff is just an English translation of the English dub yeah and the second one is the one that the Japanese you know English trans uh, Japanese to English translation and that can be very confusing especially if you're watching something 
streaming. That could be very confusing. I know on I've run into that problem on Netflix a few times or so when watching anime, where you like you don't know what the correct um, subtitles are. So just watch out for stuff like that. But yeah, that's Princess Mononoke. It's my personal favorite Studio Ghibli film. Like I said earlier, um, I know a lot of other people is My Neighbor Totoro or Spirited Away or Castle in the Sky. Whatever it is, it's your choice. This just happens to be mine. It's a good one. But yeah, it's a good one. So, Steven, do you have anything in your head for next time, or did you pull a me and not do your homework? No, I'm not you. I already think about it and stuff. Oh, so. good, 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 good. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I, you know, looking at looking ahead, um, we are finally when, when our next episode comes out, we were finally made it to October, and we've been talking. Yeah, we've we've been talking about the fact that um, we wanted to delve into some Cronenberg. So. We did. So I, I figure this is you know we can we can either make this a month of Cronenberg or I'm just gonna go ahead and start <laughs> us off with Cronenberg um, in October. I figure we, you know we can do some some uh, you know do some movies from I think we got three episodes in October, um, and you know we can do like three different you know directors that have done you know some good horror stuff or something. So nice. it's kind of it's about to get spooky in here. Or you know thriller or you know in this case. Um, I decided to go with, I guess, a more sci-fi. You could say it's still okay. horror. Um, this, te- this tease is killing me. Yeah, well, I mean, you, we talked about it kind of already. Uh, oh, never mind then. David Cronenberg's a- Existence. Um, oh, you gotta go, you're sticking with Existence. Well, okay. I, th- I think it's one of the ones that, like, um, you know, is one of his lesser, like, known, um, like, and in, in very interesting. It's like... His probably his last real body horror ish type of movie. It's not necessarily horror, but it's like body sci fi. You know, it's kind of a weird marriage. Um, I mean, it was between that or Dead Ringers. Um, <laughs> All right, um, that makes sense. I mean, Existence is one that I I don't think gets brought up enough. Yeah. It kind of gets lost because, like you said, it's kind of. In that late nineties, well, it was hidden behind the Matrix, and uh, yes. the Matrix got all the publicity, and, and Existence has kind of got some similar some similar things about it. Um, yeah, where but they both deal with kind of like plugging the human body into a virtual world type yeah. of situation, and you like you said, it the Matrix kind of took all that over, and it also came out in like nineteen ninety nine as well. Um, yeah, and then after that, Cronenberg kind of switched to his more dramatic stuff. Yeah. So you know, I figured this this would be an interesting one um, that I haven't I haven't visited in. It's I've seen it only once, um, so I'd like to watch it again. So you could say I'm kind of cheating. It's not really horror, but it's from a very prominent horror director, um, and uh, it's still got some some spookiness to it, in the sense of how the imagery is. Some of the imagery is kind of hard to watch. You could say. Um, but, well, anytime you're inserting wires into somebody's body, it's gonna get a yeah, little it's, gross. It's, his movies have a very have a very distinct um, style to them. In a lot of you know, he uses a lot of prosthetics and a lot of a lot of thing, a lot of practical effects to to give you a certain feeling of uh, unease. I think with a lot of you know with his movies, so it's um, I think that'll be an interesting one. Um, and you know, we'll try to maybe get more horror that'll be up to andrew on the next one um so yeah that'll be it for this episode uh where can we find you andrew 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find me on Instagram at Cinema Discovery Project or on Letterboxd at Cinema Discovery. And you can find the audio for this podcast on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs>